I was just thinking this morning that it's just about exactly a year since we got involved in coronavirus. We finished up last year on this very same, would have been this same Tuesday, um, the Proven series. And then spring break started, and at the end of spring break is when we had our first um, quarantine. And then from then it just progressed. And then at the end of April, or at the end of March, I taught um, Beautiful Warriors, the, the story of, um, from Judges, for Deborah the Judge. And I did that on um, Zoom, which was totally new, and... Um, something I never want to see again. <laughs> and, and so then, um, you know, it just went through the summer until last fall when we took the leap and started again. So uh, we're going to be starting another series at the end of um, this month, at the end of March. Um, it would be this book, and it's available out there, called Trustworthy. And it's a video series. Uh, you will be and we will be using the book as part of our discussion. So um, I think Michelle explained last week that what we'd be doing would be um, introducing the lesson and teaching part of the Bible lesson that, that this series covers. And then um, listening to the video, watching the video. And then after that, we won't be online. Uh, we'll basically have a discussion here within our own group. For those of you who are online, we want to welcome you back if you're able to come and um, invite you to come, in fact. But this book is available and for purchase for, I'm trying to think, remember how much it was, quite a bit. $10, okay. So, and that's at a discounted price. So we'd advise you to get it. Um, we are going to be using it, and I think you'll enjoy it. Plus, we'll have some time to d discuss things. And along with that, we're going to have treats. And Julia has asked us to pass this around so that we get a, a treat list. So um, if, if you're comfortable taking this, I'm going to take some time and, and pass that around. And then we'll um, go ahead and get into today's lesson. So let's pause and have a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you that we can be here. We thank you that you've allowed us to continue in one way or another during this past year. And we thank you, Lord, that the word of God is always available, available in, in your word, in the Bible form, and, and in our hearts as well. We ask today, Lord, that you would just speak to us through this lesson. Thank you for its content, Lord. Help it to just convict us in our own hearts as to who we need to choose to follow. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm really glad that I get to teach this lesson today. It, um, it's one that challenges me every time I read it. And in studying it, I learned that I needed to be challenged even more. Um, the passages that we're going to cover today are from the 13th verse of the 7th chapter of Matthew 7, from Matthew 7, 13, through the end of it. And it's actually familiar passages of Scripture that I know that you already know. Um, we're going to be talking about the broad and the narrow way, familiar stories about 
true and false teachers, false professors, those who say they are believers and are not, and about the wise builder and the foolish builder, and the song, wise man built his house upon the rock. And so these are familiar passages, but they have strong application in ways that we really need to consider seriously. And the other thing about them is that this is the wrap-up of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is not just our last week, but this would be his application session. So for the last five or six weeks that we've been teaching, we've been covering the lessons that Jesus taught his listeners. Now he gets to this portion, and this is all, as we go through it, application. What are you going to do with it? What is your response to the Sermon on the Mount? And we're going to see at the end of this that we'll read that the people who were listening were amazed at Jesus' teaching. But he wants us to be more than amazed. He wants us to do something about this. So this lesson today really demands a response in our hearts. We need to respond to what Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to begin <clears throat> in our outline with Matthew 7, 13 and 14, if you just read along with me. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, <clears throat> for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there are that enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, when we look at these verses, and I don't know if we often think of them, but Jesus presents his listeners with an option. So if you look on your outline, you have an option. You have two ways you must choose. There is a narrow gate or a small gate versus what? A wide gate. There's a narrow road versus what? A broad road or a wide road. There's life versus destruction. And there's many versus few. So what you really have are four <clears throat> sections here that Jesus covers, and each one of them requires a choice. Because we have to choose whether we're going to enter the narrow gate or the wide gate. And this concept of an option theme something that you find <clears throat> throughout all of Scripture. This is nothing new. The process of choosing God starts in Genesis. And I don't know if we often think about that, but when God created man, he put him in the garden. <clears throat> and in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, if you want to turn in your Bibles there real quickly... you find that God presents Adam and Eve with an option. Though we might not think of it that way. <clears throat> In verse 16 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so the choice is what? Either you... Don't eat of it, or you eat of it. And if you eat of it, 
you will surely die. And you're going to see here today, and this is what we often forget about, this is the word of the Lord, and he is saying to us, you might think it's narrow, you might think that God is not wise in what he's doing, but this is the word of God. In the day that you sin, in the day that you eat of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you have a choice. You eat of it, you will die. If you don't eat of it, you will live and enjoy all of the blessings that God has for you. Adam and Eve, we know, chose not to listen to God. Now, the second place, and this goes throughout the whole Bible, I've just picked out a few, Joshua 24, 15. You might remember the story where um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. And this is Joshua where he's talking about um, Israel entering the, the promised land and many of them were not willing to enter in. And he says to the people, choose you this day whom you will serve. What does it say? Whether what? Whether God or whether Baal. Choose you this day. Whether you choose other gods or you choose the one true God, you have a choice. He calls you to enter the land. You again, you have a choice over and over again. The next one, and I do want you to turn to this, John 10, verse 9. These are familiar verses. Now, Jesus is speaking in Matthew about the narrow gate. And in John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. Talking about the shepherd and the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. And then he says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So you see the choice? I am the gate. If you come in the gate, which is Jesus Christ, the narrow gate, you have life. Whoever comes in through me will be saved. But the thief on the other side comes to kill and to destroy and to ruin. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, and not just have life, but have it to the fullest. So the narrow way is kind of a paradox. It's a narrow way, but you come to fullness of life through that narrow way. You have a choice. And then we get to um, the last reference I have on there is Revelation 22. It goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation, this concept of a choice. So when the world tells you that God is too strict and God doesn't really tell you that you have to make a choice. You can come to heaven any way you want. You can say no. From the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation, you have an option of what God calls you to. He calls you to choose him as opposed to the other way. So we're on um, Revelation twenty-two fourteen. It says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that, may, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gate. Here we have a gate again. 
into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And the next verse, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. There is no question about what Jesus is saying throughout all of these passages in the Bible. Enter in through the narrow gate, for broad is the way that leads to destruction. Over and over again, that's the message. So back now to Matthew. Let me read this again. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now I want you to see, and I want to do this on purpose, because this is our last week on the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus talks about. He takes the word of God from him, from heaven and gives it to us and he says this is the way that God has outlined for you to live you enter through a narrow way but the life he gives is full but it takes obedience to the word of God and so Jesus says and he starts out at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount we studied the Beatitudes last fall and they talk about the character of the followers of Jesus Christ and it separates them from the world. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, as opposed to those who do not mourn over sin. Blessed are the meek instead of the proud. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness instead of hunger and thirst after the things the world offers. Throughout, he offers a choice without saying the words specifically, here's your choice. But he tells us how to live and to display his character, the character of the children of God on this earth. And we need to think again that this is the king of heaven coming from heaven, telling us how we need to live here as his children on earth. It's a powerful concept. Words right from his mouth. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit as opposed to those who are haughty and proud and unwilling to imagine their sin. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven and this is how I want you to live. And then he goes on um, into the Sermon on the Mount in the first part of it in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. These are the verses that basically introduce the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Wow, harsh words. Surpassing righteousness. So our righteousness must surpass that of the spiritual leaders of his day. He wants us to live like he lived. We go down a little bit. Matthew 5, 21 through 48 is one of the passages, a larger one that we took. Jesus teaches us to follow the spirit and not the letter of the law, where he says, you have heard it has been said. Do not murder, but I tell you, 
Don't even think about other people in negative ways. Do not call people fools. <clears throat> Do not consider them worthless. Do not commit adultery. And on and on he goes. Love your enemy. He said, you have heard it has been said, love your neighbor. But I say, love your enemies. So what he says is, look beyond what you see on the surface. I want you to live the kingdom life. And then we can go on in Matthew 6. We've covered this 19 through 34. Jesus calls us to turn from the treasures on earth to the treasures in heaven and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. <clears throat> Do you see the choices? Continually. Alternatives. So we see that what Jesus is doing to his audience is saying, listen, this is serious. The king of heaven is coming from heaven above and telling us, this is how I want you to live. I don't want you to be like the world around you. I want you to be different. Um, and the last verses I have in that section have to do with living out the Jesus law and the golden rule in Matthew 7, 12. Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And in this sums up all the law and the prophets. So there's a lot packed in there. And a lot packed in that narrow gate. And do you see what the narrow way is? It's a way different from the world. It takes nothing to follow the path that the world offers. All you have to do is get up in the morning and do nothing except move along. Jesus says, I'm calling you to a different way. A narrow gate. My rules, basically. And a narrow way. And then he says, narrow is the road that leads to life, so it takes obedience, it takes care, it takes a willing heart. But broad is the road that leads to destruction. And then he says, few will find the road that leads to life, but many will find the road that leads to destruction. So it's a call to us to holiness and obedience, but it's also a call to us to care about those that aren't following what Jesus asks. Love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Do unto them as we would have them do unto us. And that takes the work of Jesus inside of us. <clears throat> There's no other way to do it. So what we see here is we have a choice and a response that we need to make to obedience. So we can't just say, oh, I loved studying the Sermon on the Mount. I just enjoyed it so much. Jesus says, get serious. <laughs> this is more than just words. This is a life I'm calling you to. Now, <clears throat> Let's go on. Just kind of to wrap this up, there's two paths 
The narrow and the broad represent two options, to destruction or to life, and that emphasizes the moral gravity <clears throat> of your decision in life. Because it matters what you choose, which way you choose, because why? Your eternal life hinges on it. It matters whether you choose the broad way or the narrow way. <clears throat> because which way you choose, whether the world likes it or not, your eternal destiny matters. And it, it hinges on that choice that you make. It's very serious, isn't it? And we often don't think about it. So as I was preparing, I had to think about Am I concerned about my neighbor as myself? As much concern for him? As much love for my neighbor as myself? As much love for my enemy? And that's what Jesus calls us to. <clears throat> so the kingdom ethic is basically... What we choose here determines what will happen to us in eternity. The options are life or destruction. <coughs> so, <clears throat> Jesus goes on and he gives us some other examples. Now, sometimes we don't see those as um, things that we need to choose. We think it's just words about false prophets or false professors. So let's look at what he says in verses 15 down to 23. <clears throat> he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. <clears throat> a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Wow. Tough words, aren't they? <laughs> Oftentimes, we don't think about the seriousness of this. So, the false prophets, who are they? We'll say, well, they're false teachers, <clears throat> and they are. They are, yes, Anne? Right. Those that hold to those, mm -hmm. all of them are false prophets. The, the philosophies of the world are false and taught by false prophets. 
the behaviors that they exhibit are not the behaviors of God. So the false prophets are those who are deceivers of any kind. They do not tell the truth. Now it says, outwardly, they come to you in sheep's clothing. So you have to be aware of them. And sometimes they sound really good, don't they? Sometimes the most powerful preachers come to you in sheep's clothing. But underneath, they are ferocious wolves, have an ulterior motive, whatever it might be. Anything that is not of God is of the evil one, basically is what he's saying. He says, by their fruit, you will know them. So when you're looking around at people, is it your job to decide if they are false prophets or false professors, professors of the faith? Is it your job to determine it? Do you need to know them and be aware of them? Yes, you do. How do you become aware of who is a false prophet or a professor other than reading it in the paper after the whole world finds out about it? How do you find out if people are telling the truth or are living the truth? What does the Bible say? Look at that passage. By their what? By their works you will know them. So the test of their works is, are they the works of God? And does the fruit that those works produce honor God, or does it honor the people who are doing the teaching? Selfishness overrules in the hearts of those that are false, falsely teaching. But how can you get to the point where you know if someone is telling you the truth about God or about the kingdom of heaven? By knowing the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. That Holy Spirit is going to tell you whether they are of God or not. Something doesn't feel right. And you need to check it out with the word of God. They may look good on the outside. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, look at their fruit. Likewise, a tree, a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And then every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. Oh, surely God wouldn't do that, that these people have done such good deeds. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to follow the word of God. You have to know from your heart and from the word of God whether their obedience is truly of him. Can you know it? Yes. People are duped. It's your responsibility to be so soaked with the Holy Spirit that you know in your heart what is of God and what is not. Some of them are very slick and we don't know. And we have to just pray for discernment and we have to pray that God protects us from them. So he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. And then false profession. Again, those who are deceived... And follow this, in 31 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says. They, they come to me and they say, Lord, Lord. And he says, only those, and here's the key, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, and think about that day, 
it's going to be a tough day. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? Lord, look at the works that we did. And Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Because Satan can counterfeit the works of Jesus. Our selfishness can counterfeit the work of Jesus. Our pride can counterfeit the work of Jesus. We can work out of our own selves and do many wonderful deeds. Jesus wants us so in tune with him that the work that we do is worked out in us through his Holy Spirit. How can you know that, that that's what's going on in the things that you do? How can you know that you are working out of the Holy Spirit and teaching or doing good deeds? You can know it by the Holy Spirit within you. You know when you're doing things to look good to other people. Do you not? For my own credit. So that I look good. So I can be praised by those around me. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about those around you. You need to worry about your eternal destiny. See? Is the work and the, the things that you're doing wherever you are promoted and proceeding out of the heart of God? So we have to be careful. So beware of those. Questions? Does it make sense? <laughs> Tough as it is to, to follow and to understand. What God calls us to is, he's saying to, to us, listen, know me. Know who I am. Know me first. Allow me first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All right, let's go on. Um, I want to take you back a minute. I skipped a verse that I want to bring out to you because people will say Jesus is really a narrow guy. He doesn't allow any room for messing around. Okay? Go over to Luke 13. I want to bring this up. I, I missed it in my outline when I um, finished up before. So Luke 13, 23 and 24. Now, in this portion, Jesus is going throughout the towns and the villages, and someone asks him, in verse 23, <clears throat> someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Because you're talking about it being so narrow. Are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus answers them. <clears throat> he said to them, okay, listen up, guys. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading and saying, open the door to us. 
But he will answer, I don't know you, and I don't know where you came from. Is Jesus narrow? Not by heaven's standards. Heaven has a narrow gate. There's going to be many in heaven, but compared to the rest of the world, there are few that enter the kingdom of heaven. We can't fool ourselves and say that every nicen is going to heaven. The gate is narrow. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the people are saying, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he says, listen up. You take care of yourself first. You make every effort to enter the narrow gate. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able to. Because at the end, it's too late. Sandy. right right you see this is a hard lesson to teach because it really calls you to think about what's going on in your own life specifically as you relate to other people because our goal needs to be to bring them into the kingdom of God that's what Jesus wanted us to do we can't just worry about our own selves he says you make sure yes first of all you make sure you're in the kingdom but then he says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Why? Not just so you're a nice guy, but so we can bring them into the kingdom of God. It's challenging. Challenges my heart. All right, now, the last one is the parable of the two builders on two separate foundations. Now, I want to tell you this. When I studied this, the people who wrote the commentaries, and I had two main commentaries I used on this, they said this is the most, uh, this is the strongest, I'm going to read it so I get it right. It's one of the most severe parables in the Bible. The most severe in the warning. We don't think about that. One of them said to have children standing up and singing the song and building the house on the sand or on the rocks and then falling down and laughing about it totally changes the seriousness of what Jesus is saying here. And I read that and I thought, oh my goodness, that was one of my favorite songs. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and then the rains came tumbling down and the house on the sand went smash and we all lay down and laugh. And that, the author of that book just said, don't do it. He said, it's such a serious sermon. So I'm going to read it and then we want to talk about it just briefly. It says, therefore. Now here Jesus is making a major statement. We need to grab these first words. Therefore. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Down a little bit later, 
He goes and he says, up in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Contrast, two options. So we have two builders of houses. They both have similar goals in mind to build safe houses for themselves and their family. But one builds his house upon a rock. One builds his house upon the sand. And Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock, on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fail, because it had its foundation on the rock, solid ground. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then it ends. That's how it ends. So what we have is serious consequences. We think about the building and the song and all of that. Jesus thinks about the consequences. He says, that one house stood firm, but we get to the end of, of his parable and he simply ends it with the rains came, the streams rose, the storms of life came against that second house built on the sand. And it fell with a great crash, destruction. That's what that word means. It was utterly destroyed. And so, <clears throat> in fact, it says, the words, those words, that word crash is a word for destruction. It's a word of final disapproval from God in the great judgment. It's not funny. And so, the kingdom ethic, if we sum all of this up, again, is that man must enter according to the rules that God gives us. Man-made religion won't do us any good. Philosophies of goodness and kindness and Everybody be kind to one another. Won't do any good. But what Jesus holds at the heart of all of this is entrance into his kingdom. To be with him. And to be with him forever where there is life and not destruction. Where there's abundant life and good things. And where he himself is very specific about who enters the kingdom of heaven. Now, the world does not like this stuff that we've just talked about today. We don't even like to hear it. It's hard to hear, isn't it? If you have unsaved family members or you have unsaved friends that are really nice, lovely people and doing everything right, it's hard to think of. But Jesus has specific requirements for entry into his kingdom. 
Narrow is the path, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there will be that find it. So when Jesus finished, let's go down to verse 28. I find it interesting. It is such a short little ending here. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. In other words, he simply spoke out of his own heart because it was the heart of heaven. He didn't have to go and quote scribes and Pharisees that had come long before him. But he stands in front of the people and he says very boldly, this is the way. And we have the record of all of the Sermon on the Mount telling us how we are to live and what allows us to enter the kingdom of heaven and how we need to know Jesus Christ as Savior and then as Lord of our lives. And so what we have to end with today is a response to what Jesus has said and what we've been studying for, Michelle said last week it was 14, what, Michelle, 14 hours? <laughs> 14 or 15 hours of Jesus teaching us and telling us how to live. So what he basically is saying, I am Jesus. I have come from heaven to tell you this. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am Messiah. I am the Lord Jesus Christ, and you must enter my kingdom the way that I tell you. No one comes to the Father except through him. No one can live out the life Jesus laid out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, except through him living in us. So we have a response that we need to make. Even though we know the Lord Jesus Christ, can we say that we follow him and obey him in these things? And that needs to be our prayer going forward. Lord, help me to be obedient to the truths that you teach. Help my life to show forth the glory of God and not my own life, not my own selfish ways. Help me, Lord, to live for you. Let's pray. Jesus, these are hard things. It's hard to think about narrowness. It's a word today that people don't like. But you've called us to holiness. And holiness only comes from you. And we ask, O oh God, that you would just work in our hearts to create in us a hunger for that holiness that only you can give. And Lord, for those that we know that are outside that gate or on that broad road, give us a heart for them, Lord, so we care that that's what's going on. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to go the second mile, but not just so it looks good, but, Lord, so that you are honored in it. We ask you, Lord, to just lead our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.